Good morning. My name is Goody Bell. I'm one of the pastors here along with Dave, and let me add my welcome to his. We are so glad to be gathered together in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ this morning. And if you are here, you are called by him. Praise him. This morning, we are going to continue in our sermon series on conversations with Jesus. We are listening in on stories that, for some of you, are perhaps familiar. Like our child before us said, oh, I know that story. But we're listening in because we can count on the fact that we will discover something new about who it is that is our Christ and Lord. Uh, So this morning, our text is John 9. It's around page 1060, depending on the version of your pew Bible. I'll send you that way looking. John chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world." After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. The man replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. He said, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? 
how is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. A second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. The man replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. They asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from? Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine you are the new person. You're the new person at school or perhaps at church or in the neighborhood. People are asking you pointed questions, and perhaps they are staring down at your shoes, peeking into your house. You know what they are doing. They are sizing you up. Sometimes this behavior is motivated by innocent curiosity. They just want to get to know the new girl, the new guy. Other times there's something more serious at stake. When the new girl or the new guy is the new boyfriend, the new boss, or the new pastor. It's an 
uncomfortable feeling, isn't it? When you know that people are forming impressions and making judgments about you. Nobody likes to be judged. And yet, judgments, that is what is happening throughout this text. The question is not whether or not we will be judged or whether we will judge each other, but who judges rightly? Who can judge truly? In our first scene, it's the disciples who are sizing up, judging the blind man. They encounter a man with a disability as a test for their theology. His condition presents an intellectual puzzle. Who sinned? For them, the moral universe is like a gumball machine. They suppose that you get out in direct proportion to what you put in. Put in one quarter, get out one piece of gum. Put in two quarters, get out two pieces of gum. Commit a sin, get out illness, punishment. This hideous parody of human agency that the disciples purport to understand conveniently enables us to grasp for some understanding of our misfortune and suffering, but it also enables us to judge other people and theirs. When we imagine the world as a cosmic gumball machine, then we are able to discern and judge what is the supposed cause of our suffering. But instead of passing judgment on this man or his parents, instead of taking the bait, Jesus pulls at the threads of their neat world. He unravels the entanglement of sin and sickness by pointing to himself, the light of the world. In the second scene, it's the Pharisees who are sizing up Jesus. Is Jesus sent by God or not? The Pharisees have been asking this question throughout the Gospel of John. And with Jesus, every word and deed they are debating. Saint or sinner? Savior or scammer? Here, the Pharisees ask others to weigh in. What do you say about Jesus? He's a prophet, says the man. We don't know, insist his parents. Agree that he is a sinner, the The Pharisees say, he must be from God, the man counters. Though the Pharisees cannot yet size up Jesus, that scene ends with the conclusion that they have the man pegged. He's a sinner, and they throw him out. In the third and final scene, Jesus presents himself to be sized up by the blind man who accepts Jesus' word about himself and worships him. The story comes to a close with Jesus' chilling statement, For judgment I have come into the world. It's neither the first nor the last time that Jesus speaks about judgment in the Gospel of John. In chapter 5, Jesus makes an extended speech to the Pharisees with the point that the Father has entrusted him, the Son, with judgment. Now, I suspect that this is not a conversation with Jesus that we particularly cherish. 
we might think that this conversation would actually be more enjoyable if it were a silent movie, not a dialogue. And I think it would actually work pretty well as a mime act. Can you imagine? Jesus spits, Jesus rubs, the Pharisees, he sins, then the Pharisees debate, Jesus goes and finds the man, he explains who he is, the man worships, the curtain falls, the end. No need for words. But there are words. What kind of judgment does Jesus have in mind? And how do these words connect to his works? Does Jesus have in mind the judgment of the street preacher and the overzealous religious leaders? Is his judgment a threat that is meant to cow laity and preserve the power of the religious establishment? Is that the kind of judgment that Jesus has come to bring? Is his judgment the evaluation of an impartial observer? Should we imagine Jesus like the judge behind the glass at the Olympic ice rink? With a watchful eye, he evaluates us for technical skill and artistry, but he is barred for any sort of, from any sort of personal contact or engagement with us, and he is unmoved when we fall. Is that the kind of judgment Jesus brings? No, to grasp what Jesus means here by judgment, we should think of, well, what Jesus has said about light. You wake up in the night, in the dead of winter, and stumble into your kitchen to get a drink of water. As you enter, you flip on the light and see not only your path to the sink, but a mouse that scurries back to its hole. I'm sure that's never happened to you. You come out of the bathroom stall and catch a glimpse of yourself in a well-lit mirror, and suddenly you see wrinkles and gray and signs of age that you hadn't yet noticed. As HGTV will tell you, lighting is important. (laughs) Light illumines, light can bathe you in a soft glow, but light also exposes what was once hidden or unnoticed, the light reveals. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. To those who are blind... To those who walk in darkness and are willing to let Jesus be their guide, the light of Christ is like a gentle opening of the eyes. By this light, you come to see everything anew. Consider the man in the story. By a mud pie, his eyes are opened and he sees for the first time the waters before him, baptizing him into a new life. He's no longer just a sinner from birth. But a witness, Jesus reveals himself to the man as more than a prophet, and the man worships. To this man, the presence of Jesus is a new day dawning. But to those who claim to see, who insist that they are walking in the light already, the light of Christ is, well, it's a blinding glare. Again and again, the Pharisees look straight into the light of God in Christ. They stare into the sun, and it eventually blinds them. 
Do you claim to have 2020 vision? I once did, both literally and spiritually. Now I can see that my night vision is weakening, but more importantly, I recognize that I can't see myself clearly. I don't have 2020 vision on my own life. Among my friends growing up, a constant refrain was, don't judge me. We said it in mock seriousness whenever someone got that quizzical look in their eyes. But in truth, it summed up a deeper set of commitments. It captured that insistence that we had that I think was not unique to us, that I'm the expert on my own life. No one can see me more clearly than I see myself. But Jesus does. Will you submit to the judgment of Jesus? Will you let his light shine upon you so that you see yourself as he does? Will you receive his judgment as the work of a great physician whose light is meant to heal you? Jesus is not the narrow-minded religious leader who takes pleasure in your pain, nor is he the impartial judge who dispassionately rates your ability. Jesus is the judge who has been judged. He is the Savior who's known our weakness. He is the physician who's tasted our death. He is the Son of Man who bears our dire condition and darkest shadows to the laboratory of the cross, to the only place where they can be safely disposed of. And what he gives us in return is life, health, and true sight of God, ourselves, and the world. His judgment is the one that's true. When the story ends, the blind man and the Pharisees have essentially swapped places. It is the religious elite who are judged by Jesus to be blind and in sin, and it is the blind man who sees and worships. The former beggar becomes a model of discipleship. This story feels like a particular warning to me and to people like us. For it is the learned and established in the religious hierarchy who cannot see the light. They are the ones who are blinded by the God they claim to serve. And it is the one who is judged to be cursed by the world, the former beggar, who is in fact ready to see the Lord. What do we make of this? It's not just the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and their religious traditions that need to be judged. Their literate law-abiding zeal left no room for Jesus. And even though we claim Christ's name, we too may become pharisaical. We can construct spirituality, religiosity, even Christianity— that excludes Jesus. The hallmark of such systems, I think, is the resistance, the insistence that we have 20-20 vision all the time.
that Jesus is not still shining his light upon us, that we have no need for continued enlightenment. We have no need to fall at Jesus' feet again and again to have our vision renewed. Friends, even the good things, the things we prize the most, must be judged by Jesus. But take heart. Did you notice? The Pharisees, they're still there in the background. They're still listening, overhearing to Jesus' warning. Jesus' warning. And it's never too late for them to turn, to follow the blind man. For the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. O Lord, help us to see, and seeing, help us walk in the light. Forgive us, Lord, correct us for the ways that we insist that we see ourselves and you clearly, where we are in fact mistaken. Correct us together this day. By your words, speak, Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.